Hello, friends. Welcome back. It's so nice to get to talk to you all. Thanks so much for tuning in. This is That's So Wizard, everybody. It's That's So Wizard because it is, in fact, so wizard. We wouldn't have called it that if the podcast wasn't as wizard as we claimed it was, but it is, so you need not worry. It's me, it's Andrew Fantasia, with my usual delirious, nonsensical preamble. Welcome to the show today. I've got some some stacked topics for you guys this week, so let's just dive right into it. Let's talk about, first of all, let's get this out of the way first, because I feel like it's the boring one, even though it's not boring. We don't talk about anything boring on the show, because that's not how we roll. But the only reason I feel like it's the boring one is because everybody in the world is talking about it right now. You can't look anywhere without seeing it. So I'm just going to bring it up first, get it out of the way, and we can move on to other things. Not that this thing isn't great on its own. But that thing that's got everybody talking that I want to bring up right now is the Joker movie. So if you heard last week's episode, I had not seen the Joker movie, but we had a guest on the show last week. We had Mr. Rob McDonald, our boy from Rebel Scum Podcast, who is pretty damn good at Star Wars trivia, if you've been following our little trivia competitions on the the Rebel Scum Podcast channel. Uh, And Rob got out to TIFF this past September. He got to see a whole bunch of TIFF movies, one of which was Todd Phillips' Joker movie. And Rob had a lot of great things to say about it. He chatted with me about what he thought without revealing any spoilers. He was very good at not spoiling anything. But I have finally seen Joker. I saw it about four days ago now. I'm still kind of fresh off the experience, vibrating off the experience. And I'm not going to give you any kind of in-depth review or anything like that, but I will say I really liked it. I liked it a lot more than I thought I was going to like it. Now I just want to see more Batman villains done in the same vein. Cough, Riddler, cough, seriously, give me the Riddler already. It's been like 20 years since we've seen the Riddler cough. Oh, sorry, I got something in my throat that's making me cough like this. But uh, that's not all that the Joker did this weekend, because it did some other impressive things. The Joker broke records. It's always nice when a movie breaks records. The Joker broke two records. First, it broke the record for opening day in October. Not too hard to beat, but still, you know, that's that's an accomplishment. October doesn't usually see the hugest releases, but it does see a lot of horror. And horror makes a lot of money opening day. So, good on you, Joker. But then, today, I'm recording this on Sunday, September 6th. Sorry, Sunday, October 6th. Wow, I'm living in the past. Joker beat another record. The Joker broke the record for best October opening weekend, which was previously held by Venom. Last year, Venom broke through the curtain of October releases and had himself a nice, sexy box office draw while Joker beat that. Joker walked away on its opening weekend with $93.5 million. That's pretty cool, man. A lot of people have Joker on their radar, and I think that's really interesting. I did a review on my channel all about how I felt about the Joker. You can go to the Andrew Fantasia YouTube channel and watch it there if you haven't already. And whenever I do a review on my channel, I usually put up an image on my Instagram page, which you can also follow if you so choose. It's just Andrew Fantasia, plain and simple. I don't like to mess around. But I'll always put an accompanying image on Instagram to say, hey, I have a review up or I have a video up, go watch it on my channel. And yesterday I put up the image for my Joker review and I was getting comments from people who don't normally watch those kind of movies or who don't normally comment on my reviews of movies in general. I had a comment from 
a cousin of mine who's not really a huge movie buff, but even she was like, wow, yeah, the Joker looks freaky. I don't think I can handle it. I had a comment from another person I used to know who, who I barely ever speak to online who said, hey, yeah, this is uh, this was a really great movie. I would love how disturbing it was. And she's somebody who I would never really talk to about movies. So the Joker movie is slipping through the cracks. It's not just for film buffs, even though it is a very auteur kind of picture. And I find that really interesting. I think it's a mixture of the fact that it's making waves for being so different and that it's a household name. Like, everybody knows the Joker, even if... Even somebody who does not care about comics one bit. Even somebody where it's like you show them a comic book and they're like, Oh God, I hate those. Get them out of my face. I hate superheroes. I hate superhero movies. I'll never watch any of that garbage. Even that kind of person knows who the Joker is. If you ask them, hey, what's the name of that clown in the purple suit that fights Batman? They'll be like, oh, that's the Joker. I hate that. Even they will know that because that's just how famous Batman and the Joker are. So I think it's those combinations of things. The popularity of the character mixed with the kind of movie it is and the kind of waves it's making that is slipping through those cracks and getting to people who normally would not have movies, period, let alone movies about a superhero character, or a comic book character, rather, on their radar. So I really like that, and I really want to pay more attention to that as Joker is making its way through the pop culture zeitgeist this week. And you too, keep a lookout for it. Keep a lookout for how the Joker movie starts to pop up in places where you wouldn't expect it, and on the tongues of people who you normally wouldn't expect to talk about movies like this. Just keep an ear open. I think that's really interesting. But enough about Joker. I want to talk about some news that got me very excited in everything that we're going to be talking about on this episode of That's So Wizard, this might be... No, scratch that. It's not might be. This will be. This is something that has me the most excited out of anything else that came up this week. Now, Jurassic World. Okay? We got two Jurassic World movies. I don't think they're amazing. I do really like them, especially Fallen Kingdom. I loved Fallen Kingdom. I loved what they did. But they're not the kind of movies that I'm just like on pins and needles for the next one. However, some news hit the airwaves that got me all hot and bothered in a really good way. Because guess what? What I have been waiting for since 1997 is finally happening, folks. Alright, that's 22 years of me waiting for something and it's finally about to take place. Because in Jurassic World 3, whatever the hell that's going to be called... I don't know, Jurassic World Extinction. I, I have no idea what they're going to call it. Who, who, who cares at this point? But in that movie, we're finally getting Jeff Goldblum, Laura Dern, and Sam Neill back together in one film. Hallelujah. Praise be to every god there is. Let me take you on a really quick ride through my brain, okay? This is the way my brain works. Jurassic Park 1 comes out in 93, and I am I love it, as everybody on the planet seems to. Everybody's loving it. And I'm like, oh, cool, I love this, it's great, whatever. Four years later, we have to wait four years, which is kind of a long time for a sequel, when you think about it by today's standards. Four years later, we get The Lost World. And since the first day Jurassic Park came out, it was so popular, people were already talking about sequels since 1993. I remember all the kids at school, we were talking about raptors and how much we loved the dinosaurs and stuff. We were already talking about what we thought Jurassic Park 2 was going to be like. That was the power that movie had. It was, the sequel already existed in everybody's minds before it was even greenlit. 
So after four years of waiting, we got The Lost World. I loved The Lost World. I still do. I still think it's a whole lot of fun. And I was really pleased that Ian Malcolm came back. Even though he was a different Ian Malcolm, it was almost like he was a totally different character. He was still the same guy from part one. So we had a little bit of crossover, a little bit of bleed. The story continued. It didn't just feel like a regurgitation, even though it kind of was. But that's a whole other topic for a whole other day. And I loved Ian Malcolm, but my favorite character from part one was Alan Grant. So I was really excited and hoping that we would see Alan Grant again one day, but with the others, because the dynamic of those three characters worked so well together. Unfortunately, Jurassic Park 2 only gave us Ian Malcolm, but I was like, fine, I'll let that slide. He was pretty cool. Again, I had to wait four more years for Jurassic Park 3. And in Jurassic Park 3, I remember seeing the trailers when it was coming out, because back then, you know, you couldn't really look stuff up online and be like, oh, who's going to be in it? It was just, hey, the trailers are coming out. And the trailers showed Sam Neill is back as Alan Grant. And I was like, oh, cool, that's great. So I went and I watched Jurassic Park 3. Still probably my least favorite Jurassic Park. I'm sorry. I know it's starting to get some love again. I know James is going to hate me for this because he loves Jurassic Park 3. And I don't think it's stupid, but it is my least favorite. And it had Alan Grant. And it had Ellie Sattler. And I was happy, but it didn't have Ian Malcolm. So you don't have the big three together again. It's like you had Luke and Leia, but you didn't have Han. So... I'm happy, but I'm still not satisfied. And I'm like, when am I going to see those three characters together again? Now, because every movie was four years apart from the one that followed, I thought, okay, it's 2001. We just got Jurassic Park 3. In four years' time, in 2005, we'll get Jurassic Park 4, and everybody will be together again. We'll get Grant and Sadler and Malcolm. I could not have been more wrong, because guess what? 2005 rolled along. It was four years later, and there was no Jurassic Park 4 in sight. We had to wait 14 years between Jurassic Park 3 and Jurassic Park 4, or Jurassic World. 14 years. And when Jurassic World finally rolled around, I watched it just like every other human being, apparently, because it made all the money in the world. And I was like, this is cool. This is okay. But there's no Ian Malcolm, there's no Alan Grant, and there's no Ellie Sadler. And I'm like, what is it going to take to get these characters back? To me, they are as synonymous with Jurassic Park as the dinosaurs. And even John Hammond, but we can't have him because, unfortunately, Richard Attenborough passed away. So if we can't have John Hammond, I was like, at least give us the big three. At least give us those three characters. But alas, it was not to be. So after waiting three years... Now it's 2018, Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom comes out, and lo and behold, who should pop up in the trailers but Jeff Goldblum himself, Ian Malcolm, is back. And I thought, oh my god, it's happening. What I want might actually be happening, but I'm not going to get my hopes up because he was only in the trailer for a second. I have a feeling he's only going to be in, like, one scene. So I didn't get my hopes up, and thankfully, I was smart not to do that because when I came out of Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom, even though it's my second favorite after part one... I did not get a full Ian Malcolm experience. He was only in, like, one scene that was chopped up into two pieces. That's it. So now along comes this news that in 2021, or I think when Jurassic World 3 will be arriving, we'll be getting, finally, almost 30 years later, those three characters back together again. Now, are they going to be running from dinosaurs or whatever? I don't know. 
anything can happen now because of the way Fallen Kingdom ended. The world is a different place. There's dinosaurs all over the place. So who knows? But if I can get a scene of those three characters being chased by a dinosaur or sitting in a car in the rain just chatting amongst the three of them, I can die happy. That's how I feel. I, that would make me over the moon with joy if I can see that happen. And I feel like I might be in the minority. I feel like nobody really cares anymore about those three. I don't know. If you care that those three are back, please send us emails or whatever. Tweet us. Let us know that you're as excited as I am so I don't feel like I'm alone here riding this train of hype because I've wanted this so badly since 1997. Plus, let's be real here. Let's be real. This provides an opportunity. Jurassic Park, The Lost World, all right, Jurassic Park 2, had arguably the best Jurassic Park action figures ever. I wasn't a kid who had a whole lot of action figures because we didn't really have a lot of money, so my parents couldn't be like, here's 20 toys. I had like a few action figures. But one day, a friend of the family who was an older kid, he was giving away his toys, and he's like, Andrew, here you go. Here's a whole bunch of my toys. And he had a buttload of Jurassic Park toys. He had the big fence. He had the building with like the little talking parts. He had a bunch of dinosaurs. He had the Jeep, which was my favorite. I loved the Jeep. And he gave me this around the same time that The Lost World came out. And for my birthday that year, 1997, I turned 10. I got a bunch of Lost World action figures, including Ian Malcolm. So I was really happy to have an Ian Malcolm figure and a bunch of raptors and a triceratops and everything. I was over the moon, but I kept thinking to myself, God, I want an Alan Grant figure and I want an Ellie Sattler figure. And I'm sure they made really nice Grant and Sattler figures when the first movie came out, but I never saw those. So imagine now J-World 3 rolls along and we get new action figures of Malcolm, Sattler, and Grant. I might have to buy them just out of principle. I might have to, just so I can finally own the big three of the Jurassic Park world in action figure form. That would make me so happy. Please, Universal, whatever, make this happen. You will make my day. Speaking of studios making people's days, let's also thank every god in the pantheon for another wonderful piece of good news because guess what guys spider-man is back in the mcu we had a little bit of a scare everybody's heart stopped for a moment but now he's back we were riding that wave from san diego comic-con we were so happy because far from home had just come out putting a cap on phase three we loved it everybody had great things to say about far from home comic-con came around they told us what phase four was going to look like everybody got excited And then all of a sudden it's like, no more Spider-Man. And we just stopped. And all of a sudden that excitement was quenched. It was like snuffing out a candle and everybody was just like, now what happens? So finally, who comes along but Mr. Tom Holland, Spider-Man himself, putting in calls to, I think, is it Amy Pascal? Forgive me, I don't know who's in charge of Sony anymore. I think it's Amy Pascal and putting in a call to Alan Horn. And Tom Holland himself has to make these calls and be like, listen... I don't care what crap you guys have going on there, but the fans are upset. Do this. Put aside your pride and do this for the fans, please. And lo and behold, they listened. And this, guys, this just warms my... This is just proof that every once in a while, you know what? The world is pretty damn okay. Every once in a while, the world is pretty damn okay. And this was living, breathing proof of that. So thank you to... The folks at Disney, thank you to the folks at Sony, and most of all, thank you 
to Tom Holland for coming together like this, understanding what this meant to your fans, and pulling these threads back together again, sealing up the cracks with good old-fashioned web fluid, and giving us the peace of mind of knowing that Phase 4 is going to include a third Spider-Man film. Now, according to the contract, Spider-Man's, Tom Holland's Spider-Man will return for a third Spider-Man movie and one other Marvel crossover movie, which I guess we can all assume might be Avengers 5, but we don't know yet. The, the near future is known, but anything else is still a mystery, so anything goes there. But I'm so glad he's coming back for more. What this also means is that 2021 is going to be the first year ever where we have not one, not two, not even three, but four MCU movies in one year. That might sound exhausting to some people. To me, that sounds like challenge accepted, baby. I can't wait. So a quick recap here. In 2021, we will be getting, forgive me if this is in the wrong order, Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings. Yes, please. Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness. Yes, please. Spider-Man 3, whatever it's called, Far, Far Away, or whoever, who cares? Night Monkey Returns, I don't know. Whatever it is, yes, please. And Thor Love and Thunder. Yes, friggin' please. 2021. I mean, 2020, yeah, we're getting Black Widow, we're getting Eternals, and I'm excited for them both, but not as excited as I am for all those other movies I just mentioned that are coming out the following year. Oh my god, 2021, please get here, because that means not only will we be getting four Marvel movies, but we are one year away from the new Star Wars movie too, so it's a win-win. 2021 is a win-win all around. Again, thank you Marvel, thank you Sony, thank you Disney, and thank you Tom Holland for making this a reality. Like I said, guys, sometimes the world is just a friggin' great place. Now, despite how busy he's going to be, Kevin Feige has a lot on his plate, but apparently his plate had some room, because guess what? Kevin Feige sat down with Miss Kathleen Kennedy and said, Hey, Kathleen, I want to help you make a Star Wars. So now, yes, Kevin Feige is apparently going to be making a Star Wars movie. And this news hit a little while ago, and we talked about it on Rebelscom Podcast a couple times, but... I just wanted to bring it up here because I want you to know that I don't really have an opinion on this yet. And I'll tell you why. The reason I don't have an opinion on this yet is because I have no idea what the context is of Kevin Feige's involvement. And every news outlet, like everywhere that was showing this story, nobody seemed to have a concrete answer to that question. Feige just said he wants to make a Star Wars movie. And that's that. The word they used was make which could mean a billion different things in the film industry. My question is, does he want to produce the movie? Does he want to direct the movie? I don't even know if he directs or not. Does he want to write the movie? Does he just want to come up with an outline for one or two or three Star Wars movies that are connected in the way that he comes up with connectivity outlines for the MCU? Look, what does Kevin Feige want to do in the Star Wars sandbox? And until I get the answer to that question, I don't think I can be excited. I don't think I can be anything. I can't be excited or disappointed. I'm just like, okay, neat. Let me know when you have more info, Kevin. Because this really tells me nothing at all. It's, it's, it's nothing. It's a curiosity, but it really means nothing yet. So I'm going to hold off excitement until I see what he plans to do. How far is he dipping his fingers into the Star Wars pool Because I love what he's doing with Marvel, and so many people do. And many, many Star Wars fans have said 
you know, keep Marvel and Star Wars as separate entities, but look to what Marvel is doing when it comes to how Star Wars connects everything. Because remember, initially Star Wars was kind of the king of interconnected media. They just didn't do it as a cinematic universe, they did it as a multimedia universe. Look no further than Shadows of the Empire, right? You pick up the Shadows of the Empire novel, where you get to read about the main story and what Luke is doing and what Lando is doing, etc., etc. But hey, if you want to know what Dash is doing, pick up the Shadows of the Empire video game on Nintendo 64. And if you want to know what Boba Fett is doing, pick up the Shadows of the Empire comic from Dark Horse Comics. It was cross-platform, multimedia universe storytelling at its absolute finest. Star Wars pioneered that, baby. That is their bread and butter. But they haven't taken that skill and thrown it into the film world very much. They've dabbled. With Rogue One and Solo, they've dabbled, but that's it. So if Feige is going to bring those talents that he has at the MCU and kind of show the folks at Lucasfilm how to do it right, that excites me more than anything else. That gets me primed and ready for whatever Star Wars Phase 2 is going to be. I just call it that for lack of a better term. But there is some Star Wars news that is kind of neat that just dropped very recently, I think yesterday, where they finally revealed an image of Mr. Dominic Monaghan's character. Um, Now, they haven't said what his name is, but I'm going to guess his name is Mariadoc Brandybuck Pace. That's two references for the price of one. You're welcome. (laughs) Um, But they haven't said anything about his name or what his character is or what anything. All we got is an image of him. He's in like this Endor-ish looking poncho garb carrying a gun. It looks like he is exactly what we all suspected he would be a resistance soldier of some kind. Maybe we're right, maybe we're wrong, but that's just what the image is telling us. And hey, it looks cool. It looks like Dominic Monaghan in the Star Wars universe. It looks pretty much exactly like what I pictured. A small role, Snap Wexley in size for one of JJ's homies. That just feels right at this point. Uh, But if you haven't seen it yet, look it up. It's the Dominic Monaghan image from Star Wars. I think he tweeted it. So if you go to Dominic Monaghan's Twitter page, you can see it for yourself. And it looks pretty nice. Hey, it looks like an action figure, which is cool. And uh, speaking of action figures, Triple Force Friday just passed. If you subscribe to the Rebel Scum Podcast channel on YouTube, you saw my Triple Force Friday video, perhaps, unless you just missed it for whatever reason. But I went around and I managed to somehow hit five different toy stores in under an hour and find pretty much everything I was looking for. You can find that video on the YouTube channel. Plus, I give you a little bonus tour of my Star Wars figure collection. Uh, It's pretty fun. So if you like action figures and you're a Star Wars fan, what are you still doing listening to That's a Wizard? Go watch that right now and then come back here. I'll be waiting. And finally, the most recent bit of news today, in fact, we got a poster for James Bond 25, No Time to Die. It's probably my second most anticipated movie right now after Rise of Skywalker. I'm a huge James Bond fanatic. I cannot wait for No Time to Die. I may or may not be doing some kind of James Bond-themed party to celebrate it when it comes out. But we got a poster for it, and I am very pleased with this poster, and I'll tell you why. The Daniel Craig era of James Bond films have not had the greatest posters, at least not in my opinion. They've been very stark, colorless posters, not very impressive either. Casino Royale had a decent poster. Quantum of Solace was also okay, but it was literally just Daniel Craig and the actress who played Camille, whose name is escaping me right now, Olga Kurilenko, there she is, 
uh, just standing in the desert with a gray background. It was very gray, very stark and gray. Skyfall comes along. Again, the poster is interesting. You know, it's James Bond and he's like on his back shooting at something. But that's it. And then the poster is all white, very stark and white. Then he got Spectre, which had probably one of the worst posters I've ever seen in my life, period. Where it's just James Bond literally just standing there, staring at the viewer, looking like he can't remember if he forgot his keys or not. And that is all black. It is just a black, stark background. So you got gray, you got white, you got black. Not very colorful posters. Uh, They don't really draw the eye that well. The Skyfall one, I will admit, did have a cool sort of dynamic to it. But other than that, very bland posters and literally just stuff of James Bond standing. So this No Time to Die poster comes out, and it is James Bond standing again, but he looks like he's not just standing there for the poster. It looks like it's almost a screen grab from the movie. He's leaning against the wall, looking at something that we can't see. And lo and behold, there's some color. There's some color to it. We got some blue and some brown on the wall, and the logo itself for the title, No Time to Die, I believe it's in white and gold. So that looks... A heck of a lot better than the other ones did, which isn't saying much. It doesn't take much to top that Spectre poster, let me tell you. But I'm glad that the final poster of Craig's era has some color and some life and some vibrancy to it. I like that. I can't wait for the trailer. It's got to be coming out very shortly. I don't know what's taking them so long. We're supposed to get the trailer some point early October, so any day now. I can't wait for that. And uh, when it comes out, hopefully by the time we get the next episode of That's So Wizard, it'll be out. And I'm going to be talking about it a whole bunch. Now it's time to play that wonderful game that we always play at the end of That's So Wizard, guys. It's time to play With All Due Retrospect. This is where we watch an older movie that we haven't seen in many, many years, and we just do a quick little retrospective on how we feel now that we've watched it with the gift of hindsight. And I'm going to cap off what I've been doing since episode one of this show. Uh, I've been doing the Rambo movies, at least the older Rambo trilogy from the 80s. Uh, to prep myself for Rambo 5, which I saw and wasn't crazy about. But let's finish off. I've talked about Rambo and Rambo 2, but let's talk about Rambo 3 now. Let's finish this off. Let's get this all-due retrospective out of the way. Rambo 3 was um, my least favorite of the OG trilogy, and I'm still a bit up in the air as to whether it's my least favorite of all or whether Rambo 5 is now my least favorite of all, because neither of them are that great. I know, I know. See, Rambo 3 has Rambo running through the desert of Afghanistan, I believe, and a bunch of Russians set up a base camp in Afghanistan, and they are murdering innocent villagers who just, you know, they live in villages dotted through the Afghan desert. And Rambo was sent in to take out these Russians uh, because they also kidnapped Colonel Troutman, his former commander, and he's like, I gotta go save Troutman, that's my thing now. So Rambo goes into the desert to save Troutman and hopefully help the native people who live there fend off the Russian attackers. And what we end up getting is a very interesting uh, piece of hindsight for you because apparently, I don't know much about my history and whatnot. I could be incorrect when I state this, and forgive me if I am, but apparently the Afghan rebels who Rambo befriends, over time those rebels become or at least some of them, become Al-Qaeda. They splinter off and become Al-Qaeda and, uh, you know, start becoming some not very nice people themselves. So the heroes of this story, in time, some of them became villains. So it's very interesting to watch this movie and see Rambo helping out 
good people, decent folk who just happen to be, you know, folk living in the desert there who end up becoming members of Al-Qaeda circa, you know, 10, 12 years from that point. So it's very interesting to see how times have changed. Granted, that movie came out in the middle of the 80s. So in the middle of the 80s, America was friends with uh, with the Afghan nation and they hated the Russians. So the movie uh, really sort of uh, illustrated that. Uh, the Russians are all very bad, mean people and uh, the Afghan community are all super nice, friendly people who love the American people. It was very, very, um, I don't want to say politically charged, but just politically influenced I guess. Because remember, these are American movies. The Ramble films are 100% American movies. So the people making them are like, okay, who's our friend? Who's our enemy? They're going to be in the movie as their real-life counterparts. So it really dates the film in that way. It really does feel dated. And you can't help but watch it now and think like, oh boy, okay, this this is awkward. But that's not the reason why I didn't like it. I think the reason why I'm not a huge fan of Rambo 3 is just that it felt kind of uh, it felt kind of bland compared to the other ones. The desert environment is cool to look at, but it was it was very sort of by the numbers. Like he goes, he finds a village, he befriends the villagers, he sneaks into the Russian base, fights the Russians. The end. Um, there was it was almost like a paint by numbers kind of thing. There wasn't really anything to it, any meat on it. It was just there and gone. And I think that's why I think Ramble one and two. They really, uh, they they try to get you to think as well as watching bullets fly across the screen. They really do sort of send a message, whereas the message of three was non-existent. And if it was existent, it was really just like, here comes the American to clean up everybody else's mess. So it just felt like, uh, it felt more like a generic action movie. And I think Rambo should be more than just a generic action movie. So with all due retrospect, Rambo 3 you were not uh, the strongest Rambo in the bunch. Sorry to say. But hey, that has been this edition of That's So Wizard. Wow, thank you so much for tuning in, for listening to me, for making my sultry voice a part of your day, everybody. I will see you all next time on That's So Wizard. Until then, folks, you have yourselves a grand old day.